0: Well, good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to the services here at Grace Church at Franklin in Franklin, Tennessee. We're located at 4052 Arno Road. And if you're ever in the Nashville, Tennessee area, perhaps on a vacation or visiting friends, we'd like to extend an invitation to come and worship with us. We are on uh, YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. It is written in Psalm 95, O come and let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. We are now going to take that Advice and that counsel from the Lord, and sing a few hymns of praise to the Lord. Brother Joshua is going to come and lead us.
1: All right, good morning, everybody. Miss Sue last week said that she had this song on her heart and in her head, and so that's what we're starting with today. I know what lies ahead. Y'all would stand up with us. It's just a chorus, so we don't have it in the hymnal, but it's an old Oak Ridge Boys song, and some others sang it as well, but I know what lies ahead. You should know it. Y'all sing with me. This road I'm on is straight and narrow, but it leads to a better home. It was laid by Christ one day at Calvary while he suffered all alone. This road may lead over many high mountains and valleys, dark and low. But I walk each day with sweet assurance, and I'll safely reach my home. Ahead, there's joy and gladness and rest for the weary soul. Ahead, there's peace and contentment. Everybody will be happy and whole. Let's slow it down a little bit because we can get the words in. Yeah, how many of y'all remember this song? I know we those who attend here regularly, we sing it, but verse 2. While on this road I get so weary, and often my feet would stray, but a gentle hand still leads me. each valley by his hand I'm daily led but I won't So ahead, there's peace and contentment. Everybody will be happy, and bold. I'll be at home with Jesus, where tears will never be shed. Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know one lies ahead. Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know. point right of that song <laughs> okay well y'all can be seated and we'll have some announcements
2: good morning i like to welcome you all to the services of Grace Church at Franklin today and so special welcome to any first-time visitors that we have here with us. And if you did not get an opportunity to sign the register located in the foyer, we ask that you would do so as you depart, just so that we might have a record of your attendance. We take a moment to mention a few prayer requests before the congregation and ask that as the Lord calls them to your mind this week that you would lift them up before him. <clears throat> Cheryl and Steve Cothran are both home today, uh, definitely sick with the flu. Uh, but also they received word this morning that her son, 42-year-old Seth, has passed away. So let's please be in prayer for both their healing and for their comfort during this time. Steve Mordecai also had a fall this past week, and he uh, shortly thereafter he tested positive for COVID. He has had some antibody treatments, and he is doing much better, so that we lift up him before the Lord. We want to continue to remember on behalf of Joe and Beth prayers for their niece laura jackson she 's been having some chemo treatments for cancer, which has been showing some signs and improvements which we 're grateful let 's continue to remember her and also for his coworker joe 's coworker jay Copeland continue to be, be with him as the lord has not yet they 've not yet uh, discovered what 's causing some of his illness. We also want to remember pat jackson she 's home on a heart monitor for low blood pressure. Sandra Zimmerly has asked prayer as she contemplates selling some land. We want to pray about that. We also pray for Carl and Ruby Perry, uh, who are still at home. Uh, Continue to remember Shirley Murphy, who is here today. For Angela Whitley, remember her before the Lord. And also for Evelyn Carrico's sister, Betty who is having some health issues. <clears throat> and Betty Hethcock mentioned this morning that her brother Johnny has been tested for prostate cancer and will have some results back this coming week. So let's remember him before the Lord and ask that that might be a negative result. <clears throat> also for Carolyn Batts, so she's very weak, and unable to get out of bed this morning. <clears throat> and Linda Foster's son, Michael, is having some pain in his side. We ask that the Lord be, in, <clears throat> be uh, with him and to heal him. And also, we want to continue to remember Howie Smith serving in our military. If you uh, wish to give a gift to the church, you can do so by placing placing your offering in the box that's located on the round table in the foyer. And again, we just thank you, thankful that you're all here today. And uh, as we worship the Lord, let's remember these before Him. Thank you.
1: Good morning again to everybody. Some weighty, weighty announcements this morning. Let's remember all them before the Lord. Um, Three eighty nine. I am resolved. This is a wonderful, wonderful hymn. I, uh, I often, I often find myself singing this in the middle of the week, in the midst of everything. good one to remember. I am resolved no longer pronounce that, heart so, Palmer so whoever that was really knew what they were talking about. I, um, I often think about that, I love that word, hasten, think about it. I, if you're going to will something, if we're going to, you know, oftentimes our wills get in the way, but if we're going to will something, that's a good thing to will, And then Hasten to him. What a word, that's amazing. 504, in the sweet by and by. Y'all remember that this week, hasten to him.
2: I'm sorry, I didn't
1: have it from the That's okay. 504. <laughs> you have a great week
0: good to see all of you today I want to say hello to all of you and hope that you're staying safe and I want to do a special say hello to some friends of ours Who watch this program regularly? They worshiped with us when they were here. They live in Mozambique. That's on the other side of the world. They're about six or seven hours ahead of us there. We got a phone call from them this morning. D, Mary Jane, and they have triplets. How about that? (laughs) You were talking about getting busy when you start having children. And so they are watching the, our services from over there thanks to the modern techniques of all of this uh, technology. We're, we are very appreciative of our crew upstairs up there that take care of everything, the lighting and everything else. I'm sorry for those of you right now are getting a little light in your eyes. It'll pass in a few minutes. We should have tilted this building when we built it in a little different direction, but we didn't do that. And I'm going to ask you to stand up and we're going to do a medley of several songs, up-tempo songs that you'll all enjoy, I'm sure you'll all remember it.
3: We are often tossed and driven driven on the restless restless sea of time. Thumble skies and howless tempests have succeeded, a bright sunshine in that land of perfect day. When the mists have rolled away, we will understand it better by and by. Saints of God are gathered home. We will tell the story how we've overcome, or we'll understand it better by and by. We are often destitute. Of the things that life demands Water, food, water, shelter Thirsty hills and barren land We are trusting in the Lord And according to his word We We will will understand understand it better By and by By and by When the morning comes All the saints of God are gathered home We will tell the story understand it better by and by Oh, they tell me of a home far beyond the skies Oh, they tell me of a home far away Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day Sky, oh, they tell me of a place where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. All right, sir. precious blood atoning then I repented of my sin, and won the victory. With His redeeming blood, and He loved me I knew Him, and all my love is to Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the saved of Earth shall gather over on the other shore and the road is called up yonder I'll be there when the road is called up yonder Yonder, I'll be there on that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the sky, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Help us out. When the roll is called up yonder. Yonder, when the road is called up yonder, when the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. One more. When the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. All right, I man. Now, I want you to wake
0: up a little bit. Some of you look like like me just as soon as I get out of bed. He
3: just sang uh, about the sweet by and by, and I always think about, what about the nasty now and now? Uh, You know, you have to (laughs) rest in the Lord, rest in the Lord, and always fill the place with joy. Hello, Charlene and Bollingers. How y'all doing? (laughs) We're glad to have you. All right. All right. That's all I have to say. Just, if you're in the nasty now and now, don't let it look on your face. Let the spirit flow. All right? We love y'all.
0: All Genesis, chapter 39. Like it. never like to open the Word of God without asking our Lord to bless us as we do that. This is the Holy Word of God. Cut sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a dividing asunder of the joints and the marrows of the heart. It's good for our rebuke and our correction, our exhortation might be mature in Christ, having everything we need to serve Him. Ah
3: other, I stretch my hands to
0: chapter 39. This is the 20th study under the general theme, the story of Joseph. And I've entitled today's study, Our Ancient Foe. Our Ancient Foe. Verse 7 of Genesis 39, it came to pass, after these things, after Joseph had been sold to a man named Potiphar, and he's a slave. He's been in his house for some time. He was only 17 years old when he was sold, and he was in that, in that position until he was 30 years old. So he was in there for a long time, a number of years. And he's been having a problem in that house with his master's wife. And uh, we've read that several times, and I thought I would skip that today, but it says this. It says in verse 7 that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me, and he refused. And he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master doesn't know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I, neither has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, and it came to pass as he she spoke to Joseph day by day that he would not listen to her, to lie by her or even to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do the business, the work that he was assigned to do, and there was nobody uh, in the house. None of the men were in the house with him, and she caught him by his garment. And she said, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got out of the house. So what did she do? Well, she lied. When she saw what he did, verse 14, she called to the men of the house. And she spoke to them, and she said, see, he has brought in this Hebrew. Now, the Egyptians despised the Hebrews. He has brought in this Hebrew to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, or to rape me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment with me, he fled, he got out. And she kept that garment, verse 16, with her until her husband, Joseph's master, came home. And she spoke to him according to the same words, saying, The Hebrew servant, once you brought into us, Came in to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment with me, he fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, when she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let God's people say, praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Why is Joseph in prison? He's in prison because of a slanderous lie. He's in prison because of a lie told by the wife of his master. His master is Potiphar, and his wife uh, had uh, made a, a, a move toward Joseph, and he resisted her Joseph had become this man's slave by being bought at a slave sale. He had been previously sold, as we know, by his brothers unto the Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar. Now the question is, why did she lie? Why did she lie? She lied because of her pride. She could not deal with the fact that Joseph resisted her advances. Uh, He refused her. Well, what's behind pride? Self-will is what is behind pride. I want my will to be done. I want to have what I want when I want it, and I won't allow anyone or anything to get in the way, even God. I want my will to be done and not God's will. Not thy will, but mine be done in earth and in heaven. I want men to do what I want here, and I want God to do my will in heaven. Who or what is behind the lie of Potiphar's wife? According to the scripture, behind any lie is the one that we call the liar, the father of lies. We also identify him as the devil and Satan. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to see if we can make a little bit more progress today in this lesson as we focus on this sub-lesson, our ancient foe. John's Gospel, chapter 8. Now, the Jews were mad at the Lord, they hated the Lord, they resisted the Lord. And when he said he was the Son of God, they called him a liar. They said, you are a liar. That's blasphemy to say that you are the Son of God. He said God was his Father. And in reply to that, this is what he says in John's Gospel, chapter 8, And verse 44, he says to them, You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. That is, you want to carry out the desires of your father. He says he was a murderer from the beginning, and he has never stood by the truth, And the reason is because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, the old King James Version has it, he speaks of his own. What that means is when he tells a lie, he's speaking in his character. He's speaking in character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Now, let's break that down. Number one, Jesus said... As a child that is trained up with his father, learns his father's words, learns his father's ways without realizing it, learns to imitate him, so he says to them, you clearly reveal who your father is. You belong to your father, the devil. Number two, he says, your actions and your attitudes toward me reveal that it is your desire to carry out the will of your father, the devil, whose will is, what is his will? His will is to derail the purpose of God. This is when he says, you want to carry out the desires of your father, or as it has it in the King James Version, the lust of your father you will do. Number three, he says, if you'll notice verse 37, he says, "'Like your father, you are murderers, and you're seeking to kill me.'" Verse 37. Let me turn back a page in my Bible. "'I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you.'" And that is, he's saying, "'You are the children of the liar.'" And so I'm, I'm speaking the truth to you. And because I speak the truth, but the truth has no place in you because you are the children of the liar. That's why you're seeking to kill me. Number five, he says, It is your very nature to lie because this is your character. This is the character you have received from your father. Whenever he tells a lie, he says, He speaks in character. Number six, he says, He is a liar. And so are you. And number seven, he says, He's the father of the lie, and therefore he is the father of liars like you. Now I want you to notice, regardless of the translation you have, you should have the word murderer right in the middle of that verse. You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer a murderer from the beginning. The Lord says that Lucifer, that's his name, was a murderer from the beginning. Now, I have commented on this many times before, but once more, won't hurt. How was Lucifer a murderer from the beginning? He was a murderer from the beginning because his goal was the death of, of God. Now, surely he knows that God cannot die. He cannot be murdered, or can he? We'll see. So, how was he a murderer from the beginning? The best way I know to explain it is this We know what suicide is, that is the murder of oneself. We know what homicide is, that's the murder of a fellow human being. We know what genocide is, that's the murder of of an ethnic group or of a nation. We know what gerontocide is. That is the murder of the elderly. We know what regicide is. That's the murder of a king or a queen. You know what patricide is? A matricide, patricide, matricide. That's the murder of one's father or mother. You know what aborticide is? That's the murder of a fetus. You know what viruside is? Well, that's the killing of a virus. Do you know what fideicide is? Well, that's the killing of faith. But what is deicide? Deicide is the murder of God. The goal of Lucifer was the murder of God. But I ask again, God cannot die, can he? Well, I'll make a further comment on on this in just a moment. But let me ask you a question. And I want you to think about this, and you can think about it all this week if you want. What makes God God? What makes God God? Well, there are two things I want you to think about. Number one, the fact that He is self sustained makes Him God. And number two, the fact that He is independently sovereign makes him God all by himself. You see, since he is self-sustained, he doesn't need anything outside himself. And the fact that he is independently sovereign means that he can do as he pleases, when he pleases, how he pleases, with whom he pleases, and nothing and no one can stop him or hinder him. He is a law unto himself. say, but Brother Sasser, isn't God a God of love? Yes, he is a loving God, but his love is a sovereign love. Every attribute of God may be viewed through the lens of divine sovereignty. The God of the Bible, not the God of men's imaginations, but the God of the Bible needs nothing to exist Are to sustain his existence, to continue to exist outside of himself. All creation needs him to exist and to continue to exist, but he is a source of life and power unto himself. Now listen to what old Nebuchadnezzar said after the Lord brought him down a notch or two. Nebuchadnezzar went out one day and he looked at mighty Babylon and he said, isn't this great and mighty Babylon which I have built by the power of my might? And the scripture says, and the Lord in heaven said this night, your mind is going to be taken from you and you're going to crawl on your hands and knees for seven years and you're not going to get a haircut and nobody's going to cut your fingernails. You're not going to the pedicurist. Your your nails are going to be like eagle's claws, and they're going to keep you like that for seven years until you learn that it is the Most High that rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he pleases. And after seven years, when old Nebuchadnezzar was giving his mind back, this is part of what he says. He said, he lives forever, his dominion is an everlasting dominion His kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, none can stop him, or say unto him, question him, what are you doing? Nobody can stop him, and nobody can question him. As Elihu said to Job and his three friends, why do you strive with him? Why do you complain? Why do you contend with him? He gives no account of any of his matters to anyone. Job chapter 33 and verse 13. Now, suppose the sovereign independence of God expressed in his sovereign will over all things, suppose that could be taken from him. Or suppose his sovereign will could even be slightly diminished or altered. Suppose at some point, at some time, his determinate will, something he's determined to do, would and could be successfully resisted, By someone or something he has created. What then? Well, here it is. He would be as good as dead. He would no longer be God. You remember Samson? He had this long hair, and this woman, this wife, this woman uh, wanted to know what was the source of his strength, and he kept lying to her and lying to her and lying to her, and he was a dedicated Nazarite to God. His strength wasn't his hair, but it was a vow he had made. And when you break the vow, then the Lord is no longer obligated to empower you. And so he finally told his wife, he said, if my hair is cut, I will be weak like any other man. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I know all of us have questions about the sovereignty of God and the will of man let me tell you this, man has a will, but his will is limited to his nature. We have a a will that is limited to the confines of our nature. I can't do anything. I'm free to will within the confines of my nature, but I'm not free to will something outside of my nature. I can will to jump 20 feet straight up and change those light bulbs up there, but I can't do it. So the Bible talks about the ability of man as well as the freedom, the will of man. Now, God has a sovereign will, and his will is always his determinate will. What he's determined to do, it is always done, and that's what makes him God. And if you could take away, if you could overthrow If you could successfully resist or alter or diminish the determinative will of God, he would no longer be God. He'd be weak like all these other gods that we hear about, which really are not God. Now this is what Lucifer was aiming at in his rebellion in heaven, and by the rebellion that he incited in man on the earth in the Garden of Eden. What he was aiming at was the murder of God by the overthrowing of his will, by the asserting of an independent will, that is a will that is independent of God. What did he tell Adam and Eve? Can you eat of all the trees of the garden? Oh yes, we may, but there's one tree, we must not eat of that. If we eat of that, we will surely die. And and, uh, the slanderer began his slandering right there. He said, no. No, God's lying to you. He's lying to you. You shall not surely die. You mean to tell me God would cause you to die for taking some fruit off of a tree? What kind of a God would do that? But you will not surely die. He said, here's the real key to why he doesn't want you to eat. He knows that in the day you eat, in the day you assert your independence from him, In the day you say, I'm going to do my will, I don't care what his will is, then you will be like little gods. You will determine for yourself what is good and what is evil. And I'm so glad that our God is not only sovereign, he's infinitely wise. And were it not for the wisdom of God, Lucifer would have succeeded in his scheme in the Garden of Eden. You say, how can that be, brother? So I said, well, God did indeed die in the death of Jesus Christ, the second person in the Godhead. But unknown to Lucifer, unknown to Lucifer, the death of God in the death of the Messiah was the means by which the children of God would be redeemed. And we read that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that we are redeemed by the blood of God. And then Peter adds this word, You know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your worthless way of life, your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without So now we come full circle to the original question in today's study. Why is Joseph in prison? He's in prison for three reasons. He's in prison because of a slanderous lie. He is in prison because the slanderer inspired that slanderous lie. And three, he is in prison because of the sovereign will of God who used the slanderous lie of the woman and the slanderer who inspired her to lie to fulfill his perfect will for Joseph. My friends, Joseph is right on schedule in the plan and the purpose of God. He's right on schedule. Listen to me. Remember this. At his weakest God is stronger than man and stronger than the devil. At his most foolish, the Lord is wiser than man and wiser than the devil. Does the Bible say that? Well, listen to this. For it is written, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it is written, I, God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the learned, the prudent. Where is the wise? That's the philosopher. He's regarded as the wise man by worldly standards. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? That's the Bible scholar. Where is the disputer of this world? That's the apologist. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Listen now. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, and stronger than the devil too. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways of past finding out. He used the slanderous lie of the woman. He used the slanderer who inspired her lie to move his purpose for Joseph right along. Now, let me say something about our ancient foe. When Martin Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God... A part of one verse goes like this, Still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. I want you to know that we have an ancient foe in Lucifer who became the devil, the devil Diabolos, He became the devil, our adversary, our enemy, and he became Satan. The name Lucifer, that is his name, the name Lucifer from the Hebrew is Halel, and it translates, his name means the shining one, the morning star, the light bearer. So his name refers to the majesty and the high status of a king. So the personal name of the devil and Satan points to the high and lofty status and position of power originally given him. Now would you turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4. I'm well aware now that on a couple of these points I'm covering ground we've already covered. And I'm doing that on purpose because I want you to really get this lesson that will prepare you for some future lessons that we're going to have, God willing, and i live. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, we read about the temptation of our Lord by the devil. Now, at some point in the past, in a past that predates human history, happened before there were any human beings, Lucifer was given dominion over the earth. And as I noted in our last study, when our Lord was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, Lucifer said something in his second temptation of the Lord that says, reveals something that's very important to us to know, and certainly important in this study. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and I begin reading in about verse 5. The devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them. And let, note this statement, For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Now the first thing I want you to notice here is that our Lord does not dispute Lucifer's claim. He doesn't say, you're a liar, and you're the father of the lie, and you're lying about this. He doesn't say that. He does not deny that the power and the glory of this world was delivered at some point to Lucifer. Now, Lucifer uses a Greek term here. He says, let me go back and find it here. He says, uh, all this power, verse 6, all this power will I give thee. This word, all, is a, is a term, hapus. It means the whole thing, everything all together. The authority and the glory of this world, he says, is mine to give as I please. Now, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John agree with Matthew because Paul calls the devil the God of this world in Second Corinthians chapter 4. And John says in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. So to understand what the devil is saying here in Luke's gospel is to begin, when you understand what he's saying here, you're beginning to get a grip upon the reason for the temptation of Adam, as well as the temptation of the second Adam, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sir, have you ever wondered just why the devil tempted Adam and Eve? Well, he had a specific reason for doing so. And let me tell you what I think it was. In prehistory, in history that happened before the creation of man, Lucifer was given the earth to rule. He was given the earth to have dominion over. However, because he rebelled against the Lord, he forfeited his right of rule. But like many tyrants and many dictators, he wasn't willing to give that rule up. You remember when the Lord told the first king of Israel, Saul, he said, you, I've rejected you for being king over Israel, and I've selected another man, a man after my own heart, who's going to be king. That other man was David. But what did Saul do? Did Saul say, well, I'm going to bow to your will. Now, I messed up, and I'm sorry, and forgive me. No, what Saul does is he tries to kill David because he wants to still be the king. And may I suggest to you this is precisely what Lucifer was doing in the Garden of Eden. You see, he had been given the rule and the dominion over the earth, but when the Lord made man, what did he say? Let me read it to you. God said, let us make man in our image. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Listen now. Subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Between the time that the Lord gave Lucifer this right, and he created man, there was a gigantic war. We're going to finally get to it. We may not get to it today, but we're going to get to it. It's in Revelation chapter 12. Well, the Lord planted a garden in Eden, and there he put Adam. And in the midst of that garden was two tre- were two trees, two special trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he gave Adam a command regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Listen now. For in the very day you eat you will surely, no question about it, you will surely die. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. Now Lucifer heard when the Lord commanded Adam regarding the terms for life. You are not to eat of this tree. In the day you eat this forbidden tree, you will surely die. Now Lucifer must have reasoned that with Adam out of the way, he could rule the earth without any competition. And that is the reason behind the temptation of Adam by Lucifer, the one who became the devil. But again, (laughs) the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the devil. How did Adam die? Adam did indeed die the very moment he ate of that fruit, but he didn't die as perhaps Lucifer had expected him to die. He died spiritually, but he lived on the earth in his body for 930 years, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. So he died spiritually, but he was still alive. He could still do some things. Martin Luther wrote another verse to a mighty fortress, as our God, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, where is our source of victory? We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The truth of God, even though man disobeyed, because the tempter led him into disobedience and rebellion, the truth of God is going to triumph through the weakness of man who died as promised, yet lived as unexpected. Now, how long Adam lived is not our concern. I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 3, if you will. The third chapter in the first book, of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. The truth of God is going to triumph through the weakness of man in spite of the temptation and lies of the slanderer. The slanderer caused Eve to believe the lie that God did not have his good in mind or the good of her husband, her good in mind or the good of her husband, but he had something else. He didn't want any competition. And so he didn't want them to assert their wills. But in the asserting of their wills, and in the disobedience to the Lord, and in the dying spiritually, they made necessary what God had already planned, a Messiah, a Savior, to come into the world, who is called the last Adam and the second Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So our concern here in Genesis 3 is not how long Adam lived, but our concern regards a promise that God made immediately after Adam and Eve sinned. Now we take it up in Genesis chapter 3 with verse 8, Genesis chapter 3, they heard the voice of the Lord their God, this is right after they had sinned. They heard the voice of the Lord their God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the tree. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, Where are you? Now let me suggest to you that the Lord called Adam in order to give him space to confess. It's not that the Lord did not know where he was. He's calling Adam to give him space to confess that he sinned. You'll notice that Adam's faith is now replaced with fear. Verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Well, if you read the previous verses... Uh, and the previous chapters, you'll see that when their father came into the garden daily to visit them, they were not afraid. They had sweet fellowship together. But now that faith is replaced with fear. Now verse 11, the Lord God gives Adam a second opportunity to confess. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree Whereof I commanded you that you should not eat. That's this is the second opportunity. Have you eaten? Well, the Lord knew that he had, but he's given him space to confess. Then what does Adam do? Adam does what all men do. He blamed his wife. The woman, verse 12, the woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree. And I did eat. If you had not given me a helpmate, if you just left me by myself, a helpmate, if you had not given me anybody here in the garden, I was doing just fine by myself, what is he doing here? He's blaming God. And today we still blame God. We still say, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did that happen here? Why does that happen here? Why does the Lord allow this? Why does the Lord allow that? We're still complaining. Instead of taking a mirror and looking in the mirror and say, there's the the culprit right there. Instead of taking the position of the old possum, we have met the enemy and he is us. We blame God. Okay? Now notice that the Lord gives a third opportunity to confess. Verse 13, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And she wouldn't take the responsibility. She said, the serpent beguiled me, which he did, and I did eat. Now Paul in the New Testament is very careful to point out that the race of man did not fall in the sin of Eve. The race fell in the sin of Adam. Eve was indeed deceived, but Adam had his eyes wide open. He knew what God had said. Now, here is a principle that all of you know about, but let me repeat it again. Wives, you have a powerful, powerful influence on your husband. A powerful influence. Even old Elvis Presley sang about it. He said, a hard-headed woman and a soft-hearted man have been the cause of trouble ever since the world began. (laughs) Ever since the world began. Now, let me tell you, Nobody is to blame but Adam. But what he did is he had such a love for this beautiful wife of his that he disobeyed the Lord. So wives, you have a very, very powerful influence on your husband. He may be stronger than you are physically, but he is not stronger than you are emotionally. Women are much stronger, I think, psychologically than men are. Well, the Lord curses the serpent here in a twofold way, verses 14 and 15. The Lord says unto the serpent, now notice he's speaking directly to the serpent. Who's the serpent? The serpent is Lucifer, the devil, Satan. The Lord said to the devil, to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head; you shall bruise his heel. Now, here's what happens: God curses the serpent in a twofold way. First of all, he cursed. The form the devil had taken, he cursed the serpent above all the creatures he had created. That's verse 14. But he also was cursed, Lucifer was cursed, by a seed which will come forth from the woman. That is verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now this 15th verse is what theologians call the proto-evangelium. Protos, meaning first, from the Greek, and evangelion, meaning good news or the gospel. So this is the first mention of the good news, the first mention of the gospel. This is the good news of salvation, the first mention of it in the written word of God in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. He said, I'm going to send a Messiah, a Savior, he's going to come forth from a woman without the agency of a man, without the aid of a man. In other words, he's going to be virgin born. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the whole and this is the entire reason that Lucifer, whom we now know as the serpent, the devil, Satan, the dragon, this is the entire reason why he has come down from heaven to the earth in great wrath. He knows that because of the promise of God made directly to him, here in Genesis chapter 3, in the presence of Adam and Eve, he knows he has but a short time. But a short time. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. He moved the first man to rebel that he might have the earth all to himself. That's what he wanted. But when that plan failed, he began to battle to prevent the promised Messiah from being born. So he led Adam and Eve to sin, and they died, but they didn't die right away, And so now he knows that a Messiah can still come, and so he begins to war against the line of the Messiah to prevent the Messiah from being born. And that is why he moved Cain to kill Abel. He thought Abel might be the Messiah, to destroy the line of the Messiah. And that's why he moved Potiphar's wife to lie and her husband to imprison Joseph to destroy the line out of which the promised seed of the woman will come. That is, Martin Luther said this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his his truth to triumph through us. Listen now. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word from God will fail him, will bring him down. Now, once more, let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. And I could give you a little bit more light on this, but I'm going to save it for one more Sunday. You pray that I live so I can finish it. <laughs> But what, Revelation chapter 12, I hope this will make a lot more sense to you now. I don't mind sharing this with you. Perhaps I shouldn't, but I don't mind sharing it with you. And that is this. Men have developed various schemes uh, of the last days. There's some good men that have had all kinds of views about the last days. They're all based around Revelation chapter twenty, where it mentions a millennium, coming from a word that means one thousand. So we're talking about the one thousand years. Uh, people have various views. You have premillennialists who believe that Christ will come before that millennium. You have amillennialists who believe that that's a spiritual thing. You have postmillennialists that believe He will come after. You have all kinds of views. And we have some of those views represented in this church. It is not necessary for you to be a certain type of millennialist or a certain type of uh, eschatologist having a certain view of eschatology to be a member in a good standing of this church. I would say it would be a problem if you didn't believe in the literal coming of Christ. I'd say it would be a problem if you didn't believe he's coming to judge the world and he's coming to get his people. That would be a problem. But all the little details about it, I don't mind telling you, I'm not clear on them. And I don't think that we should be so dogmatic about them as though we do have it all figured out. Because just when you think you have it figured out, the Lord's going to do something else. What I'm looking for is I'm looking for His return. I'm looking for His coming. He's coming to get me. When he comes, how he comes, the way he comes, the means he comes, what's going to happen until he comes. I hear people talking today say we're right on the verge uh, of the rapture. Now let me tell you something, my friends. We don't have it bad in the United States yet. We don't have it bad. But we're going to have it bad if the scriptures are clear. Evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, as Paul says to Timothy. Things are going to get really bad. Right now, thousands of people are leaving churches. They're leaving churches because they don't either, they don't believe anything, or secondly, they're not hearing anything to believe. So the best I can do is try to open up God's Word to you. That's all I can do. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's the best I can do. Now here in Revelation chapter 12, we've looked at it many times before, here is depicted the battle of the seed of the woman, and the battle of the seed between the seed of the woman and the seed of the servant, that looks back to Genesis 3.15 that we just read. Okay? Genesis 3.15. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. Revelation 12.1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. I'll tell you what I think that means, I promise you, next week. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, pained to be delivered. Now she's got a baby, and she's got to deliver that baby. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. What is it? It's a great red dragon. And as I pointed out last week, we don't have any problem knowing who that great red dragon is because all you have to do is read verse 9. Verse 9 of Revelation chapter 12, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan that deceives the whole world. Okay? So we're back up in verse 3 now. There's this great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth most of the time, the stars of heaven are typical or symbolical of angelic creatures. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to deliver her child, and he stood before the woman to devour her child as soon as it was born. And it says she gave birth to a man-child, verse 5. A man child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That couldn't be anybody but the Messiah. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there for 1,200 and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And they prevailed not, neither was any place found anymore in heaven. That is, the dragon lost the battle in heaven. And the great dragon, verse 9, was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser, see that's his name. His name is devil, which means accuser. The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Remember in the book of Job, When God said to the devil, where have you been? And he said, I've been going throughout the earth. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And the the devil accused Job. He slandered Job. Yeah, Job's serving you because you bless everything he does. But quit blessing him. You'll find out he doesn't care about you as much as you think he does. And of course, that's what brought on all these trials on on Job. So they overcame him, he says. I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now verse 11. The devil comes down to the earth now to do battle with those people who are related to the woman and the Messiah that came forth from her, and they overcame him. They overcame the devil. How? By three means. The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. If we're going to overcome the devil, it will be by the blood of the Lamb. It will be by the word of our testimony. What is the word of our testimony? What is our testimony? Our testimony is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one spoken of in Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the one that all the prophets prophesied would come into the world and save God's people from their sins. That's the word of our testimony. And in a, they loved not their lives unto the death. There have been many hundreds of thousands of saints of God down through the ages that have died rather than deny that Jesus is the Christ. So they have uh, the blood of the Lamb. Their whole salvation is the blood of the Lamb, the substitutionary death of Jesus, the Messiah. The word of their testimony that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, and they loved Him even more than they loved their own lives. And when it came to a decision between denying Him and living in this world, they said, We'd rather die. Rejoice, you heavens, verse 12, and you that dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. That the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. So taking that as symbolical, the Lord Jesus has just been gone here a couple of days in the scheme of God's time chart. Hadn't been very long. But one of these days... The heavens are going to part. The trump of God's going to sound. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. And the dead in Christ are going to be raised. And he's going to come to judge this world. And he's going to come to get his people. And my question to you is, are you ready? Are you ready? We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know whether we're going to live to be here next Sunday or not. Just this yesterday... Yesterday, I got a text last night that a young man for whom I've been praying, 42 years old, 42, died suddenly without time to get a toothbrush or a suitcase, and he went out into eternity to meet the God that made him. My friends, in the last couple of years, we've had a lot of people that have died from various and sundry things, including the coronavirus, pneumonia, flu, and other things, and no doubt we're going to have others. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready? The only one who can save us is our Lord Jesus Christ. And I personally believe that whosoever believes on him may have life. That's what the Scripture says. Whoever believes on him may have life. So you, I'm not going to tell you to repeat a prayer after me, but I could tell you that in the prophecy of your heart, in the prophecy of your mind, you could say to the Father, Father, I see the Gospel. I see that Jesus is the Christ. I see that Jesus is the Messiah, and I do believe on Him. I bow to Him in my heart of hearts, and I, I confess that He is my Lord, and He is my Savior. I believe, according to the Scripture, that if you're able to do that, you can count yourself among the people of God. I also personally believe that you should confess Him, not only in your daily lives, but you should confess Him uh, through being baptized in His name. Baptism doesn't save you, baptism doesn't wash your sins away, but it is a confession of what you believe in your heart. And why should we be ashamed to be identified with him if he has identified himself with us? May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together and we'll sing our song under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll. Safe though the worlds may crumble. Safe though the stars grow dim under the blood of Jesus, we're safe if we are in Him. If you have any questions about this thing of salvation, please don't hesitate to call me, get in touch with me. We'll meet together, we'll talk, we'll have prayer, we'll discuss it. It's very important, it's vital. Please let us know if we can help
3: Under the blood
0: praying for Cheryl Cothran. You may not have met Cheryl. She and her husband Stephen usually sit right there behind Ty and Charlene. They sit right in the next pew. They're both very sick. She went down to Dalton, Georgia to visit some of her grandchildren. They gave her something. She came back and she gave it to her husband and they're very, very sick. Uh, They think they might have some type of flu, but please be praying for them. And then on top of that, it is her son that I had in mind a moment ago who died at the age of 41 yesterday. So please pray for Cheryl and Steve Cothman. Will you do that? Their son, by the way, lived in Dalton, Georgia, just outside of Chattanooga. Okay? Let's bow our heads. Now may the God of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every work, working that in you which is well-pleasing in his sight, to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and for whose sake we ask these things. Amen. And you're dismissed.